Well, good morning. I'm Nick Crawford. I'm one of the pastors here. And this week I had the man cold. Easy, ladies. That's a real condition. It's serious. It is. It's serious. My, uh, my head was congested, you know. Uh, my head felt like an anvil. Had a tight chest. It was hard to breathe, man. It was, it was serious. Allergies, sinus pressure, tight chest, hard to breathe, not fun, not fun at all. Now, my wife is a physician, and I am her least favorite patient because I'm a caveman when it comes to these things. Just sweat it out, I always say. I can outrun the man cold. That's my strategy. But I got to tell you, it didn't work this time. You see, on my run this Wednesday, I wasn't really feeling it. Again, tight chest, hard to breathe, and then the humidity, like today. My goodness, those clouds are full of moisture. They were heavy, and they were low. My plan didn't work. I did go for a run, but I did not feel better after at this time I felt worse, a lot worse. And then the irony of it all just kind of hit me, kind of hit me like a ton of bricks, man, especially as I was prepping this message. You see, those clouds were a good picture of my heart. I was worried. I was anxious. I'm only preaching one verse to you guys today, so what happens if I show up and I don't have anything to say? I was anxious. My heart was heavy. My heart was troubled. Those clouds were a real good picture of my heart. Heavy, weighed down, and low. Turns out I could not outrun the man cold this time, and I could not outrun my heart. I bet I'm not alone either. Things have piled up on us these past 18 months, and we can't outrun them. Our hearts are heavy. Our hearts are troubled. We're in week two of our series, Heart Matters. Last week, Daniel Wagner gave us some really good boundaries to fence around the unguarded heart. If you missed it, go check it out. So good, so needed. Today, we're looking at the troubled heart. So anxiety is in the crosshairs today. Look, these past 18 months have done our hearts no favors. The pandemic broke a lot of people, and we didn't see it coming. It was very subtle. You see, on a typical day, our baseline stressors are like a three, you know? Just like a three. Have a bad day, have some nerves, have some anxiety, it spikes to a six. That's no big deal. That's in the middle. We can handle that. Ever so subtly, though, enter the pandemic, and our baseline stressors are at now a six. So now you have a bad day, boom, spikes to a nine or a ten. It's concerning. String a couple of bad days in a row or maybe several months in a row, that's a recipe for a breaking point. Things have been forced on us. Isolation. At-home learning, job changes, job loss, financial insecurity, health scares. It's a lot to hold, and it's affecting our hearts. As a physician, my wife gets this. I actually asked her to share the stage with me this week. I got a hard no on that one, hard no. Speaking to hundreds of people gives her anxiety. But even though she don't want to speak on it, she's seeing it more than she ever has before. And here's what she's seeing. We don't know our emotions. We have no names for them. People come to her all the time with physical ailments, headaches, stomach issues, extreme fatigue, and oddly enough, she has to tell them that it's stress-induced. They don't know. She can tell what they have even before they give her a history of what's going on. They come in stooped, head down. Their entire countenance is downcast. They They look crushed, and anxiety will do that to you as well. Kristen will tell you, that our hearts drive our bodies, not the other way around. You see, what's inside the heart comes outside the body, and that's exactly what the Scriptures teach us. We're in Proverbs 12 today. Again, one verse, Proverbs 12, verse 25. Let's read it together. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, 
but a good word makes him glad. In the Bible, the heart is everything. It's the center of our feeling, thinking, and choosing. The heart is what makes you, you. In Proverbs, the heart is used throughout to describe the entire inner person. In Proverbs, the heart is the mission control center of your life. And in this pandemic, mission control is saying, Houston, we have a problem. Our hearts are heavy, they're burdened, they're anxious, our hearts are troubled. But enter Jesus in John 14, 1, and he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So wait a second. If my heart's troubled, if my heart's anxious, does that mean I have small faith? Does that mean I don't believe in God? What do we do? Because the heart is the center of who you are, it must be treated with the utmost care and concern. But here's our problem. Let's put it up. Rather than address what's in our hearts, we avoid them. We avoid our hearts, suppressing and stuffing our issues while never really dealing with the matters of our hearts. I'm convinced that all good change occurs from the inside out. God wants to heal your troubled heart because your heart really matters. To heal our troubled hearts, we need to acknowledge the issue. We need to assess the issue. And then we need to address the issue. Acknowledge the issue. We've got to name the issue. To name it, you've got to know it. So what is anxiety biblically? The word for anxiety in Proverbs 12 pops up six other times in the Old Testament. Three of those occurrences show up in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 4, 16, 12, 18, and 12, 19. The context in each of those is famine and exile. So the, the idea there is scarcity, not abundance. You see, when things are scarce, you treat them with far more care. There's not much to go around, so you clench. You hold tightly, right, with more anxiety. But with abundance, you're more likely to open your hands. You're not troubled. You're carefree. That's what anxiety means. It means care. It means carefulness. It means fear, heaviness, sorrow to take thought, troubled with care. And here's some good news. God the Father troubled himself with you. He's taken care of his kids. There's a great story about two women in Luke 10, Martha and Mary. It shows a really good picture of the troubled heart. You see, Martha was busy, and she was full of care, but Mary was at peace. Mary was feasting on the good portion of the Word of God. Mary was present with Jesus, and being present allowed her to listen intently, but Martha there are three emotional adjectives of the heart that describe her in Luke 10, 40, and 41. They are distracted, anxious, and troubled. She's distracted. That means to drag all around. She's driven away from Jesus with her busyness. She's actually doing a really good thing. She's serving the Lord, yet Jesus still rebukes her. You see, she's preoccupied with her tasks rather than being present in the presence of God. She's also anxious. This is the same word for choked and careful. Martha is literally full of cares. It's choking the life out of her. She's stressed out, and it's affecting her walk with the Lord. She's, her heart, the condition of her heart is like the seed that, that fell amongst the thorns. She hears the word, but it's being choked out by the cares of the world, and that's how anxiety can feel, too. It feels like tightness across the chest that chokes out our deep breathing. She's troubled. comes from the word crowd. The peace that would quiet her soul is being crowded out. She's disquieted. She's troubled in heart, and she cannot rest. And I wonder, I wonder if in all her busyness, 
and in the frenetic pace of her life that she could even stop to name the emotions in her heart. Troubled, distracted, anxious. One of my all-time favorite movies is Cinderella Man. I just love it. It's a great underdog story. I'm, I, I kind of see myself as an underdog, so I love it. C- Cinderella Man is the, it's the true story of a heavyweight fighter named James J. Braddock. Set in the Great Depression, like so many, Braddock gets down on his luck. He gets hurt, and then he eventually struggles to feed his kids, and then he gets one more chance, and he wins. And so a reporter comes up to him and says, hey, Jimmy, Hey, Jimmy, what's different about you now compared to then? And he says this. He says, this time around, I know what I'm fighting for. You see, when he got hurt, those shadowy foes of the Depression threatened to swallow his family up whole. He couldn't see the enemy, so he was just shadow boxing at an invisible enemy. He flailed and he floundered, wearing himself out, just boxing at the air. It wasn't until he can actually name the issue, hunger, that he could wrap his mind and his arms around the problem that was in front of us. And that's how anxiety can be. It's like the invisible enemy. When we're emotionally spent, we feel like we're shadow boxing and swinging at an enemy that we just can't see. We need to see what's coming at us. But the, the anxious among us can find ourselves a whole lot like Martha, too busy to even name it. Now, if that's stung, let me encourage you. You're anxious because you're awesome. You're anxious because you're awesome. You're you're conscientious. You're thoughtful. Things matter to you. You care. You care very deeply. Everything matters to you, and that can make life really, really hard. It makes it really hard to know when or how to turn that kind of care off. Still, we need to name the issue. We just stink at that. I stink at that. I'm like a caveman at that, too. I promise. But I'm committed to learning this because my children need it. One of our parenting goals is just to give our kids some language. They'll be sulking in the corner, you know, you know the face, parents, you know the face. They're in the corner, like, just glum. We don't let them get away with it. We try to engage them. So we ask them, what you feeling, man? Sweet girl, what are you feeling? What, what, what's going on? And then we'll feed them words. You mad? You sad? You disappointed? Then we listen, we talk it out, and we learn things about our kids. It's really good. It's healthy. Other night, my son was glum. We engaged him, and we learned that he was disappointed because he didn't have any friends at our dinner spot. So guess what? We helped him make a new friend. It's wonderful. This is great stuff. But look, we miss out on their full development if we don't engage with what's going on in their heart. Church, we need some better tools. Here's a good place to start. Improve your emotional vocabulary. There's a tool that's free. Google it. It's called the Feelings Wheel. It's a great place to start. You can, you can Google it, seriously. It'll start, most of them start in the center with like some primary emotions, mad, sad, glad, whatever. And they go out from there to give you language to help you identify for the real things that are in your real heart. Check it out. But we don't like this, do we? We don't like it at all. You see, if we name it, then it's real. So we avoid it, but we can't outrun our hearts. Avoidance and escapism form our number one strategy for dealing with anxiety. We're like Peter Pan. We think of the happiest things. It's the same as having wings, and we want to fly off to Neverland, right? The carefree place where we never have to grow up, and we're always happy. But guys, true happiness ain't in Neverland, okay? Happiness is not the absence of anxiety. It's the ability to deal with it. King David felt the same exact way. 
but he acknowledged it to the Lord. Check out Psalm 55. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the, from the raging wind and tempest. That's how he feels. He wants to fly away. He wants to avoid it. But check out what he does. Next verse. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. Unlike King David, we don't bring our anxieties and our cares into the light because we have to deal with the discomfort of them when they're there. So we avoid them altogether, leaving them in the dark corridors of your heart where they just accumulate and weigh you down. Name it. If you don't, it'll only accumulate in your heart. Our untreated hearts prevent us from turning to the Lord in faith to receive healing from the inside out. But when we do this, when we acknowledge the issue, then we can assess it. We've got to know, we've got to evaluate the condition of our hearts. The heart is troubled, but how troubled is it really? Here's the deal. Our verse today tells us that the heart is like a container. Anxiety is in the heart. Stuff goes in, eventually stuff goes out. And what comes out is a really good indicator for just how troubled your heart is. Stuff goes in a box, but if you never take any of that junk out, the box is going to swell. It gets heavy, and it weighs down. Our hearts exist like a repetitive system. Information is constantly flowing into the heart through our circumstances and our experiences, and then it flows out of the heart into what we do, our will, our conduct, our behavior, and such. You see what's in comes out. You have a good experience, you hold it. You treasure it. Stuff comes out like joy and happiness. But have a negative encounter. Say somebody calls you a name, bad name, like in the seventh grade. You store that up too. And it's still coming out now that you're in like the 37th grade of life, right? Anxiety weighs heavy on the heart. The word there for weigh down means to depress. Oddly enough, it also means to prostrate oneself in worship. You feel the heavy heart, and it's not a heart that's unburdened before the Lord. The anxious heart depresses you, and it limits your ability to worship. Anxiety depresses you. It forces you down. Pressure is acting on you, and it robs you of life and vitality. Look, the average weight of an adult human heart is about 10 to 12 ounces. But when anxiety gets in that thing, it can weigh the whole of you down. Truth is here, though, anxiety always involves an overestimation of the issue and an underestimation of ourself. Both of my kids have busted their chins wide open this year. Real good parenting, I know. Don't judge me. They busted their chins wide open this year, but their reactions couldn't be any more different. My son busted his chin wide open. He was fine, like he really was fine, until he heard the S word, stitches. Immediately starts hyperventilating, ugly crying, snot, the whole deal. He couldn't pay attention to me and Kristen. He wouldn't pay attention to us. He was experiencing legitimate dread. It consumed him. He couldn't stop thinking about it. Now, of course, they numbed it. They numbed it. He didn't feel a thing. It was fine, right? It was fine. But the, but the thing about it is when he left the ER, his tune changed entirely. He got all tough all of a sudden. He overestimated the issue, right? And he underestimated himself. Now, our daughter, Kennedy Vale, who thinks she's Wonder Woman, 
or she says, woman, woman, she overestimated herself. She busted her chin last weekend, diving headfirst into an above-ground kiddie pool. She pops up, runs and shows me, and then runs back out, ready to go, totally okay with a bloody chin. She overestimated herself, but underestimated the issue. But we're kind of like my son with this anxiety issue, right? We overestimate the issue. Our hearts become troubled, and we get anxious. I want to give you three coping strategies here, three ways to help you deal with the matters of your heart. First, assess the issue and talk to your people. Anxiety is a state of constant worry and constant pressure, and it always involves an overestimation of the issue and an underestimation of yourself. It's born out of fear, but it has a reaction that's disproportionate to the fear. We dwell on the issue, and it looks so big compared to how small we feel. But in our overestimation of the issue, again, we're going to downplay ourselves. We forget that we're not alone. We have access to a community. We got people. Engage them. Bring them in. Church, you have the Spirit of God in your heart. You're not empty. We aren't as small as we think. Talk to your spouse. Talk to your friends. You are not alone in that fight. Again, I, I did a little bit prepping this message. I felt a little anxiety, right? Just one verse. What if I don't have anything to say? But my worry was so unfounded. I'm just relaying God's word. It's his word. It's his message, right? I am a mere messenger. So don't shoot the messenger if you don't like the message today. Second, assess the heart and journal it down. It's been said that a light heart lives long. How heavy is yours? What's weighing it down? You can assess the heart by evaluating what's coming out. Our inner life, our very hearts with Jesus, that's the center. Make time to care for it. Take the time to journal, to know what's going on in the heart, as opposed to just running through life. David, Job, Moses, Jeremiah, you name it, they all wrote down their feelings before the Lord. When we journal, we get in touch with what's going on in there. We get in touch with the feelings of the heart. We can notice the themes of what God's been saying to us over time, too. Now, of course, God speaks to us through his word, but he also made our emotions. And he can speak to you through your anxiety, your sadness, and your depression, too. Pastor Pete Scazzaro says, our bodies are a major prophet. They're not a minor one. What's your body saying? It's a window to the heart. Jesus taught that good fruit doesn't come from bad trees. So the fruit of our life, what can be seen on the outside, is tied to the health of our hearts. If we want to know what's going on in our heart, we got to pay attention to what's coming out of it. So what does the fruit of your life reveal about the health of your heart? Here are some journaling questions to help you out. What am I believing about God, myself, and what Jesus has done? What emotions am I feeling right now? What has my behavior been saying about the health of my heart? How have I been communicating to the people closest to me? And then the honest question. How would the person closest to me answer these questions? Third, consider a counselor. Let me just say, it's okay to have this need. It doesn't mean that your faith is weak. In fact, it means that you are very courageous to seek this out. But start soon before the issue becomes a real problem. Here's when you ought to go consider seeing a counselor, okay? When your interpersonal relationships are all upset, you feel constant tension. You're short and temperamental. 
You can't experience or enjoy life, so you don't take that trip. You stop doing that thing that used to give you life, that you used to enjoy. You just stop it altogether. You're not finding the, the happiness and the joy in that thing anymore. Look, if you think you have an issue, you do. The people closest to you feel it the most and often way before you do. So what do they think about your heart? Again, what's in there comes out there and they feel it. We've got to take time to assess the heart by evaluating what's come out, coming out. When we do that, then we are really ready to address that issue. Pressure points out what matters. Pressure points out what matters. So consider where the pressure's pointing. Pressure, nerves, and anxieties. They don't feel good, but they have a good thing for you. God created them too. They remind us of what's mat- what matters, of what's important, like this message. Yeah, it may be a little nervous, just one verse. Yeah, I had a little bit of anxiety, right? Because it matters. And because it matters, I prepared, I prayed. I prayed for your hearts. Look, if I wasn't nervous about this, I didn't have some pregame jitters coming in here today, I would have taken this very lightly. I would have entered the pulpit taking it for granted. And that's not good. This is very important. Church, the pressure we feel actually leads us to the place of healing. In that verse, there is a good word that makes the heart glad. So all that anxiety forces you down. It depresses you. But there's great hope for the anxious heart. And it is a good word that makes us glad. The good word brightens you up. It cheers you up. It brings joy to your soul. It gives you cause to rejoice. It lifts your spirits. It brings you out of the low places that have been pressing you down. Our troubled and heavy hearts need a good word that comes from outside ourselves. So what is this word? In John 5, 39, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and here's what he says. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Then listen to what he says in verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You see, all those words of scripture, they really point to one word, and we find it in John 1, 14. We find the word there. Check it out. The word is capitalized. The word is a man. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. God cared so deeply about our troubled hearts that he gave his own heart to the world. Jesus is the word, and he can penetrate the hardest heart. Jesus came to heal the anxious heart by inviting us to walk right alongside him, the perfect picture of a peaceful heart. The great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, noted that in all 89 chapters of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those great and historical accounts of the life of Jesus, there's only one place where Jesus describes his own heart, and it's in Matthew 11, 28, 9, and 30. You know this one. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is a good, good friend. There's a fantastic book that came out either last year or two years before. It's called Gentle and Lowly. In that book, Dane Ortland shows us the very heart of Christ. He tells us that the word gentle means and reveals that Jesus' most natural posture is open hands, not pointed fingers. And then he tells us that the word lowly shows us that Jesus is infinitely accessible. And pay attention to that verse 28, Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28. tells us 
who it is that qualifies to come to Jesus, all who labor and are heavy laden. So you don't need to unburden yourself or fix your heart before you come. No, it's your very burden that qualifies you to come in the first place. But that's not who Jesus is to everyone. It's who Jesus is to those who come to him. So like David, call out to the Lord. Come to him, and he will come inside. But again, we avoid. We avoid the heart, and that leads to hardness. Left unnamed, our issues go untreated, and an untreated heart causes it to harden. In Matthew 13, 15, Jesus warns against this. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah, and here's what he says. This people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus gives us the image of a callus to describe their dull hearts. You see, their dullness of heart actually means to cover with a callus. Now, when I played baseball a long time ago, I didn't wear bat gloves. Didn't like them. And the friction of the bat would produce these deep calluses on my hands that I still kind of have. It's, it's gross. But a callus is formed by repeated pressure or friction on the skin that causes the skin to die and form a protective covering on the skin. Over time, my hands would experience so much friction that the entire callus would become dislodged and I'd be left with a deep hole in my hand despite all the warnings of our training staff telling me to take care of your hands, Nick. Told you, I'm a caveman. But just like that, when we don't take care of our hearts, when we don't tend to our hearts, they get hard, they get brittle, they get wounded, and over time, enough pressure, enough friction can leave you with a deep hole. There's pressure all around us. I don't have to tell you all that. And it grates against our hearts with much friction. You feel the pressure of that work project, that deadline, or that sermon because it matters. Remember, pressure points to what matters. You feel the pressure of conflict because that relationship matters. Parents, you feel the pressure that society places on your kids because they matter. But sometimes the pressure can be too much for us to hold. So when the heat's turned up and you feel it, when the cares and the troubles and the anxieties melt, mount on you, there's energy. There's energy. That stuff's got to go somewhere. Energy always goes somewhere or to someone. Some of us are exploders. Some of us are imploders, okay? It's energy, and energy goes places. Exploders, they have worries. Sure, those worries come out. They have big feelings, they just don't always know what to do with their feelings, and you just happen to be standing right nearby. That's energy, and it's going somewhere. Exploders tend to turn on somebody else. Imploders turn on themselves. Their feelings are small because they minimize them, and then they're going to blame themselves for ever having those feelings in the first place. But their bodies are going to tell the tale of their anxieties. Headaches, fatigue, stomach aches, you, know, you name it. On the outside, they look all right, but they're like ducks on the water. That's energy, and they're just going to channel it on themselves. So as our team comes on up, let me tell you, there's a good word that surrounds you in community. For the exploders and the imploders, we need a good word from outside ourselves. We need a safe place to open our hearts and receive a word of encouragement from a brother or sister. We need people in our lives that can deal with our explosions and our implosions and return a word that says, I know your heart. That thing that's pressing down on you, it's real. 
but God is with you, and I am too. We can speak a good word that makes the heart glad. We can do that. Church, there's enough in Jesus Christ to not only refresh your heart, but to refresh the heart of another. But when you don't have the words, when you don't have the words, rather than giving the coffee cup verse, let your presence do the communicating for you. Just show up. Now back to the good word that penetrates the heart. Pressure points out what really matters. You can't outrun it. But even a caveman like me can address it with a little bit of help. You feel the pressure, and it leads to the place of ultimate healing, for it was pressure that produced the greatest word. You see, Jesus felt the pressure too. He did. He experienced great depression. He was pressed down further and harder than anyone else in human history, yet he received no good word to make his heart glad. Church, the good news is that in Christ, you are still in God's conversation, no matter how heavy your, your sin or your shame. Because at the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, God the Father stopped speaking words of acceptance to his son so that he would never have to stop speaking words of acceptance to you, his child. Can you believe that today? On the night he was betrayed, Jesus went to a little olive grove with his, heart, with his disciples to pray, and his heart was troubled. That grove is called the Garden of Gethsemane, which means oil press. The process of making olive oil reveals a little bit of the pressure that Jesus endured for you and for me too. It's a painstaking process. You see, olives are harvested by beating the branches with sticks or stripping them bare by hand. And then comes the real pressure, the pressing. You see, they're put on a floor and they're crushed by a heavy stone or underfoot. And then the people can get more olive oil out of these olives by reheating them. In other words, by putting more pressure on them. So as Jesus is in this little olive grove, reflecting and praying on the work that he's about to do, he was hard pressed. He would be beaten with sticks. He would be stripped by hand. And he was crushed under the weight of the sin of the whole world. Yet Jesus received no good word to make his heart glad. The man of sorrows held the weight of the sin of the world. And then came the rejection of his father that pressed him down hard. That pressure caused him to sweat blood. The pressure on him produced the blood that led to the salvation for any who would believe in his name. He endured all that pressure because your heart really matters to him. You see, Jesus didn't stay crushed. Praise God. He did not stay crushed. He rose in victory. Now the victory that he won for the world lives in the heart of the believer. Can you believe that today? Jesus offers peace to every troubled heart. So, if you've been trying to deal with this on your own, like a caveman like me, you know, you're going to outrun it, you're going to outrun it. If you've been trying to deal with a troubled heart all on your own, you're tired, you're beat up, heart's heavy and it's troubled. Jesus invites you. Remember, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus gives peace. He gives rest that you crave. He gives rest that your soul craves. And we're going to enter this time of response. It's response by unburdening your heart before the Lord and worship by offering by prayer. If you want to unburden your heart and receive prayer, we are here for you now and we are here for you always. Let's pray. Father, in your infinite wisdom, 
you came and you showed us how to live. And Jesus, you lived perfectly to heal our sick hearts. In Christ, you create in us a clean heart and you renew a right spirit within us. And now we can cry out with a psalmist, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Help us, God. Help us, Spirit, to open up our heart to receive your blessing. In Jesus, I pray. Amen.